<laughs> Down to the front. <laughs> well, welcome. Yeah, I'd, um, like David said, tonight we're going we're gonna to look more at some sort of general uh, principles, some kind of just dip our toe in how it is that theology addresses issues of identity. Um, and um, it, it will be better if it's interactive, if I don't talk the whole time. So uh, uh, I'll ask some questions throughout the time, and they're not rhetorical, generally speaking. Just, just so you know. Okay, so um, it's helpful if we, if we engage, I think, on this. Um, and please, at any point, we, we, we want to stop, have some clarification, whatever. Please just let us know. Um, I think the plan is we'll go to around seven, and um, we'll have an opportunity to, uh, you know, disperse. You'll have an excuse to leave. Uh, and but if anybody wants to stick around longer, ask questions, whatever, that's that's fine. Um, I'm not thinking, by the way, that like we're going to solve like all the issues of human identity tonight or th- over the course of our times. <laughs> sort of a long-standing issue. Uh, and so, um, I, but I think hopefully uh, together we'll discover some things that the Lord has to say to us um, about ourselves. Okay. Calvin says, um, you can't know God without knowing yourself, but you can't know yourself without knowing God. And uh, yeah, I think that'll, that'll prove to be true. Well, I guess as we start, maybe we can just think about Maybe some of the buzzwords, some of the phrases um, that we hear in our culture today about identity or about the self. Like, what are what are some of the things that we I don't know, hear? Yeah. Well, you be everyone asks where your pronouns the moment. Ah. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're all out into pronouns. Um, yeah. Be your true self, what, which implies something. What does that imply? What's your true? Well, true, okay, uh, for one thing, true, like what is true, right? That's a, right? At least the possibility of a false. There's a possibility of a false self. By the way, that's a great mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, one, of, one of the... Uh, one of the opportunities that our cultural moment gives us is there's an agreement that who you are is not who you're meant to be. And, you know, Christian theology kind of teaches that sin makes us not who we're meant to be. Um, and so it gives us an inroads for the gospel right off the bat to say, okay, we have some agreement here. I, I've, um, in, in Toronto, I have um, a lot more, so a much larger transgender community, and so I interact with, with some transgender uh, people quite often, and that that's that tends to be a, a point of of commonality that we can start to have a conversation from. Okay, you you have a sense that who you are is not who you're meant to be. We that's a good you know, we we have some agreement right off the bat there. Um, now we're coming at it from different ways, and we're going to address that issue differently. But it certainly is an opportunity. What else? What else do we do we hear in the cultural winds? Just the very nature notion of I, I identify as fill in the blanks. Often when you meet people, they ask you, "What do you do?" So kind of like, mm-hmm. it's like a part of yourself. 
Absolutely. Like what? So sense of self is you tied very much to what you do, to um, vocation, um, if that's how we want to phrase it. But yeah, absolutely. Um, what we do, we can often become our sense of self. Yeah. What else? How how else how else do people identify as? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We can sure psychology. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Odell, you were going to say something. So part of our our identity ends up being a group, which is a very human thing. Um, you know, it's it's always it's always hard to navigate like middle school because you don't know which group you're in, right? But <laughs> you want to find that group. Um, and uh, that's three years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, but that that group identity that I associate with becomes a very strong bond. And if you attack that group, then you attack me, right? Yeah. Um, what else? Your job. Right. Your job becomes becomes like <laughs> what you do. Job. I mean, those are similar things. That's okay. Um, we see this language. I mean, our, we identify. We we think our identif- identity can be bound up in gender and or in sexuality. Um, what about Christian identity? I mean, sometimes that tends to be one identity alongside another. Well, you have the fish on the back of your corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how, do, how do people want to respond to them? We, we, you mentioned pronouns. How, how else do people want to respond to one's identity? I mean, are people neutral as to whether or not you acknowledge them or not? I don't think so. I mean, maybe, maybe. Look, live in Toronto a little, little bit. In, in Pride Month, if you don't have a, a rainbow flag outside your church, they'll pick at you, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I think people now expect affirmation instead of tolerance. Yeah. There, there's a real sense of of affirmation or of recognition, of acceptance. However, you want to say that, that. Which is interesting, right? Like, it, it, it's not, identity is really not something that I, I, really, I have to have somebody else acknowledge it, right? I mean, it says something about what, even what it means to be human. It's a contradiction almost. But there is a real sense I need someone to affirm this. Um, I mean, so it is kind of easy to pick on our current cultural day, but I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm 43, so my generation's a little different. What, uh, or, or my parents' generation is a little different. What were some ways that we talked about identity in, back in the day that maybe would influence how we think about identity today? You talk about having maybe more, more nationalistic identity. Okay, so there's certainly... post um, to, you know, the, this, is, this is our country. Is that a song that we learned in grade school? 
the old people learn in grade school? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, especially in certain. Certain, certain, yeah, sorry, I was going to say Texas seems like that would be a place where that, Alabama would be a place where, uh, yeah, what else, what, what were the sort of notions of identity or of self that we grew up with, some of us? How about, uh, you can be anything you want to be? I, I mean, Girls I, can do anything boys can do. Girls can do anything boys can do? Mm-hmm. Um, if you just, if you work hard enough, you can achieve your dreams Right, um, these these. I'm still trying to get an MBA. <laughs> You're still trying to do. <laughs> these things are are not unrelated to choosing a pronoun. Okay. Um, we might even say um, the fluidity with which we change a church uh, membership or a denomination or something like this is also a part of bound up with this. Um, um, how about, it's my money, I can do with it what I want. Um, that's bound up with um, the, this whole issue. So, um, maybe what are some presuppositions? We've already talked about some of these that sort of, maybe some of these issues of identity or self come out of. Like, what, what, are, what are some basic presuppositions that are that are in place here. I don't know what that word means. What did you say? Presupp- what? Presupposition. So what's like the, the underlying um, concepts or truths that, um, that are sort of these notions of self or identity come out of? So, so for instance, you might say... Um, if I could be my true self, then that there's a presupposition, there's a there's a sort of underlying assumption that I can trust my own sense of myself. I think I deserve to be happy. Okay. That's one I deserve to be happy, and and I think related to that is my psychological well-being is is bound up with my ability to determine my own self. In some ways, does that end up becoming worship of yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, you're making yourself to be God? Making yourself in... In a way, you're making God in your image, or you're making yourself into God. I mean, one of, yeah, you're making yourself God on your own terms. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of touch on that a little bit pretty soon. Um what about what about some presuppositions about social structures? Like those those are inherently um, constraining, you know. Our notions of like traditional notions of gender, of marriage, or of right these these things constrain the self. They they um, we need freedom from those things. Um, this idea of radical freedom, or even what freedom is, right? Freedom means I get to choose my own path. Freedom means I get to put my happiness central. And, and I think also bound up with that is, is a real sense that newer ideas are better than older ideas, right? Um, the, 
parents wouldn't understand because they're bound up in this. But instead of the older people being wiser people that I look to as a resource for knowledge or, or wisdom about how to navigate the world, I see them as passe. I see that the young, the new, that's where wisdom is. Right? Jeremiah says, you get to the crossroads. Crossroads in, in wisdom literature are always where decision decision points, right? And what do you do? You look for the old way. Um, that's where wisdom is found. Um, well, when we were talking about this whole um, um, this whole notion of identity, I I got to tell you, I don't I don't love the term. <laughs> so. Um, you know, identity, if as a as a sort of in the way we use it today, really doesn't show up until about the 1920s, and and it's not really a theological category, and it's not really biblical. I mean, you know, search ESV for identity, and you're not going to you're going to find anything. Um, and so, part of me is like. I don't, you know, maybe it's a categorical error to even talk about identity. I think when when David and, and Robbie and Stacy and I were talking about this, you know, Robbie kind of pushed back a bit on that. And said, "Well, you know, we don't we don't just cast aside terms um, because they're not in the Bible per se. Um, I mean, think about it. Like our modern concept of personhood is not really a biblical." You won't find it in the Bible. But it doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have anything to say about the modern notion of personhood, right? And I think, and I think there, there's some truth to that, actually, there's a lot of truth to that, that um, we're, uh, we're going to use the term identity because it's in, it's, it is within the nomenclature. It is a conceptual framework that is in our culture, and the Scripture does have something to say to it. But what we decided to do is frame this as redefining identity. The, terms, uh, the term itself, how it's used actually does have some problems, but uh, we're going to look at how the scripture can, can redefine or change the, the conceptual field of what that term is, um, because, I mean, this is, this is what theology is, right? I mean, God speaks through his living and abiding word um, anew to, to each new thing. It's like transgender. You won't find transgenderism in the Bible, but that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. Right. Um, so um, we are going to use the term identity, but we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot about redefining identity or the distinctiveness of Christian identity. Um, what, what is, I mean, how would you define the, the term even identity? Um, any, anyone want to take a shot at that? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned that identity is not even discussed really in Scripture, but when you think of Revelation, it talks about... Turn your phone up. <laughs> The mark of the beast, the mark of the lamb. Those are really identity identifiers. You could say they mark you as something. I can see that. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, there's definitely ways we can we can see how how the scripture would inform even. Yeah. But what I mean, what is what is identity? If we're going to have a series on identity, I guess we should get some notion of terms out of the way. But is it? Is there any uh, parallel between that and name? You know, the scriptures are all about names. You know, the name of God, you know, how will be thy name? Is, is identity somehow kind of matched up with name? I think, I think so, and we, we might call that more of an identifier. Mm-hmm. So we identify something mm-hmm. 
by by it, right? So we can we can say we recognize who that is, based and name has a lot to do with that, right? Um, and it's an important part of that. And so, yeah, they're certainly related. I mean, identity itself, as it's used today, um, has to do um, with a sense of self. It's it's who I consider myself to be, right? It really answers the question, who am I? I mean, that's really at the core of what identity is about. It's, it's a sense of self, or it's who am I? And it's not a new question in that regard. Um, in fact, it, uh, Robert Jensen, uh, an American theologian who just died a couple years ago, he's, he says that the whole of Western thought can be considered under the rubric of of uh, this, this term, the old temple to Delphi in, in uh, central Greece before you walked in had inscribed over the doorway something. And anybody know what it was? It's know thyself, right? And that becomes a, a real key marker of, of Western thought is concerned with knowledge about myself or about ourselves, <laughs> Right, know thyself, and we we see iterations of this to thine own self be true or something like this. But I will say, in in the modernity, we see a real turn in terms of knowing thyself, knowing oneself inward. Knowing oneself used to be much more of a, an identity of, in that uh, in that regard was something that was general. It identified me more with with a group and. Whereas in modernity, we have a turn inside. We call this the Cartesian turn. If you remember your Descartes from back in the day, um, right? There, there becomes the, the basis for knowing something is my own interiority, my own inwardness, right? Um, I think, therefore, I am. Um, and in the 20th century, and especially in the last half of the 20th century and into today, um, this turn in, inside... Um, it becomes uh, an anxiousness uh, for for your own self, and I I I say it like this: that um, we're compelled to bear the burden of our own selves. The highest good and the loftiest ideal is to discover, shape, execute, display one's true self, and often regardless of the cost to others. Right? That I mean, that is the obsession. Uh, is is I, I, that, I mean that's what the highest good is, um, in 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 a sense. Um, so, and importantly, uh, the sense of self identity is how I want others to see me. Right? It's the grounding of my own actions, the grounding of my own thoughts, but it also becomes the basis for how I want others to relate to me. Hence, the need for affirmation, things like this. Well, we're going to start moving into theology now. Uh, there are many disciplines which seek to answer the question um, regarding who I am or my sense of self. So what, what are some of the disciplines that look into uh, sort of my, who I am, my identity? Psychology. Psychology, right, absolutely. What else? Philosophy. Philosophy, yep. Anthropology. Anthropology, yep. Sociology, biology, right? I mean, these are all investigations of our of ourselves, attempts to gain knowledge uh, about ourselves. So, 
Christian theology, or what we, the subdiscipline, which we call theological anthropology, is a much different endeavor. Now, how does theological anthropology differ from psychology, biology, sociology, all the ologies that we, that we mentioned? Okay, it involves God. Okay, well, um, it, it does. How is it different from religion? Well, religion is uh, a human-based study, whereas theology, theology is a God-based study. Right. So theology has to do with knowledge that's revealed to us, not knowledge we investigate from within. So, so when we think about theological anthropology, when we talk about knowing oneself, in theological terms, we don't start with ourselves. We don't start by investigating ourselves. What we look to is revelation, okay, about ourselves from God. Now, where does, what, what is the source of that revelation? Where is God's self-revelation found? Jesus. Jesus, right, the word of God, right, the logos, right, is God's self-revelation, and that self-revelation then is the words of the word are, are found in the scripture, right? Is the reliable, authoritative self-witness you know, to God's own self-revelation. And we shouldn't leave off the fact that, that God's self-revelation takes place in a community. The scriptures are written to a community, the community which is shaped by the scriptures, the community which receives the scriptures, um, is the covenant community, right? And so uh, we, we also look to uh, the church. Uh, we look to how the church has received the word of God and reflected upon it. And we constantly, every generation anew, we hold that up against scripture again, right, as our norm, um, so that's what we'll do. But the other, so, so in one sense, theological anthropology is unique from the other disciplines because it looks to revelation apart from itself. But uh, there's, there's even more to that um, because theological anthropology looks to a different question. Okay. Um, secular pursuits seek to extend knowledge of ourselves. Theological anthropology seeks to understand what God thinks about us. Okay. So... Um, we're not looking to the Bible to give us facts about what a human being is. We're looking at the Bible to figure out what God thinks about us. Okay. I, th I think Psalm 8 is sort of paradigmatic for that. Right? What happens in Psalm 8? Verse 2, when I consider the works of your hands, the sun, the moon, the stars, what's the next phrase? What is man, what is man you that you're mindful of him? Right? That what what is it that when I David, when he is in awe and wonder of the created world, that awe and wonder moves him to consider what does God think about man? Right? And so theological anthropology asks that question primarily, and that really comes to our first notion of what Christian identity is. How do we redefine identity? First of all, Christian identity involves conforming our sense of self to God's sense of ourselves. Okay, Christian identity is conforming our sense of self to God's sense 
of ourselves, right? That's, that's the mission that we're on as it relates to theological. By the way, I would write some of these things on the board. I, I teach occasionally, uh, like in you know, university settings. I, I, I wrote things on the board one time. And it, it, it doesn't go well. So, uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> like, I already have bad. I should have, hopefully Henry will write better than I do. But it, it doesn't work. It, anyway, it doesn't turn out well. Um, <laughs> so, if we're going to look to the scripture, to the authoritative witness to God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ, where would we start if we wanted to look at, I don't know, what, is it, what does God have to say about us, about what it means to be a human, maybe? Ah, that's a good place to start, right? So I suppose we could open our Bibles, if you got it, to Genesis 1. Um, and I think uh, what would be maybe the foundational truth, the first thing that we come to that really stands out about what makes us unique in the creative world? Yeah, so in Genesis 1, 28, 26, we, we have... Of course, we have the soliloquy. Remember, remember that word when, when the, the narrative is interrupted and the, the, the character speaks to himself, right? So there's all this, all this speaking that's going on. God's speaking things into creation. And there are all these justives. Let us do this. Let us do that. Make this happen. Do this. And then there's a pause. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, hum, humans, in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And importantly, God in all these are, is, is plural. Okay. Um, so we are created in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? We like to throw that term around a lot, and rightfully so. Okay. So there's a dignity associated. Absolutely. Something about the relationship of a being that has a relationship. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's something about the relationship. That's, yep. There were spiritual beings. Okay, so there's a... There, we're unique in, in, in a... We're, we're spiritual beings, but there are other spiritual beings, right? The angels. The angels, yeah. So what... What does image of God imply? We share similar attributes. There's something... Yeah. There's some... Yeah. Learn for the word identity? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I'm just, I mean, they're all true. I mean, we're, I'm just kind of throwing out lots of things. I think, like, that we are created in the image of God is a clear delineation between God and us. Okay, so that's an important one. We're not to be confused with God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are distinct from God. A lot of times we try to mm-hmm. emphasize the alikeness we don't understand that there's, this is the first clear, you know, emphasis on the distinction. Okay, very good. Um, it's hard because what Brad just said, I feel like people swing in two categories, either 
really undercutting our value mm. or overstating our worth. And there is also like a sacred, holy nature to the fact that like I'm a being made in God's image and that bestows some kind of un I guess you can't really understand it all the way value on my life and who I am. Yes. But also not I'm not God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there, there's um there's a, a Lessing as a as a philosopher, um, and and uh, there's an article I gave to a couple people that by by Eberhard Jungel, a, a German theologian. But he he references Lessing's little line that that man is too base for our God, yet too much for mere chance. So we're like, it, it, the way he thinks of it, he says, I mean, you look at us, and it seems like. There's a lot of things that like kind of went wrong. It doesn't even make sense that we're the product of a god, but we're also like a little too much for just chance to happen, and and we and it creates a, a, a real conundrum for us. Uh, but then God comes in and says, "But I created you in my image." I think there's there's a couple of things to 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 keep in mind. I think. Um, the way I like to say it is their image refers to a correspondence between, okay? There's correspondence between us and God for a particular purpose, as we'll see. But image refers to a correspondence. Like, like when you think of what, just what an image is of something, you know, you, you look to sort of an original and you make something and there's a, there's a, there's a correspondence of some sort, right? Whether that is a, a picture, so there's a, uh, you know, maybe a physical likeness, or there's an explanation. There's something that corresponds here. Um, now, in what way do we correspond to God? Uh, what are some of the... Well, there's a spiritualness to us. Okay, absolutely. Um, what other ways do we correspond well, to God? Well, things that have done before man came into creation. Okay. Right. So... Uh, we will like we are creators, right. um, like God is a creator. So there's there's a creative aspect of humans. That's a that's both a sort of a, a great possibility and a great risk. Yeah. Um, what else? How else do we correspond to God? Well, we rulers, caretakers, whatever you want to say. He we're lords. Do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we are lords. Now we're we're. Small yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But we are we, we do occupy a position of responsibility, as we'll yeah. see. Right? Mm-hmm. We're co- we're sub regents. Yeah. how else do we correspond? Is a desire for community and relationship. Okay. Yeah. So so there's a relational uh, correspondence to God. Well, that's an important one. Absolutely. In fact, how how are we made? Okay, even but, but that's but that's in chapter two, and you're right. Uh, at least one of us is. Uh, but uh, what does he say here? Let us make humanity in our so God created humanity in the image of the image of God he created him male and female he created them. So from the get go, humanity is already in a community. Right? There's no such thing as naked individual individuality. Right? We're going to see, like, all of creation's good until Adam, and then what, all of a sudden, for the first time, we see it's not good, and what's not good? For him to be alone. We'll talk about this next week when we get to gender and sexuality, that 
humanity, like there's a sense in which Adam is not human until Eve comes along. And she particularizes like humanity. So we'll we'll get into that. Um, So relational. So um, some other ones that that tend to show up uh, along the you know history of the tradition is is being. So you'll see an analogia entis, the analogy of being. So so we have a you know the 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 idea is there's sort of a, a, a gradation of being, God being at the top, and we we are correspond to God in the very fact that we exist, of, our, of our being, of our ontology. Uh, there's, that's been called in question more recently, and, and more favorable these days is the analogia relationis, the, the analogy of relationship, right? The other, other big one is rationality. Now, rationality, when it was first used by the church fathers to describe um, our, our correspondence to God is not what we think about in terms of intellectual capacity, Okay, it includes now that. Now that's a clue to that. But what what rationality has to do with we're rational souls, okay, has to do with the ability to enter into a relationship with God. Okay, that's that's what rationality is in the you know early centuries in Greek in Greek thought, right? Not not intellectual capacity. That's important. I, I have a I have a nephew as had a stroke at eleven months and his intellectual capacity is very limited. And I'm, I'm sort of zealous that you, intellectual capacity is not a marker for what it means to be human, um, or else he gets, he gets excluded. Yeah. Um, and that happens at either end of life then. That's right. Right? So, so we want to make sure, and, and, and by the way, this is true, I think, that we don't, we don't a lot of times we come up with categories because we, we, we actually really do want to exclude. Um, and... and um, our, our purpose is not to sort of draw a line that we can draw a circle and be like, okay, this is what it means to be human, but there's people on the outside. And that leads to another way in which we correspond to God is that we're persons. Okay, we're, we're, there's something that's irreducibly unique about each one of us. And that irreducible uniqueness is important. It has value in of itself. Okay. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. And, but that, that brings us to sort of my... my all these things are true. In other words, I'm trying to say our correspondence to God it can't really be limited to one thing. There's a lot of them. And, and uh, you know what? We, we might keep coming up with new ones, and that's okay. Um, God's, you know, pretty you know, unlimited. And so there's aspects of ourselves that we would maybe continue to continue, discover as in, in correspondence to God. But that leads us to my second point, which is Christian identity means that my sense of self is in God's image. Who I am is someone who uniquely corresponds to God. My sense of self has to include that, right? At its very fundamental being, being in a place. Wow, is it? Gosh, it is late. Well, we're all right, well. We're going to go for a few more minutes. We, we technically has to. Leave we it. technically so, have to Okay, okay. Well, and, and this leads to my next thing. Why did Why did God create us? For school, okay, good, good. Uh, no, no, absolutely, no, right there, check mark. You know your catechism, which is great. Um, and you're right about that. Okay, okay, all right. So, what, and that glory is something about knowing and, and, and to enjoy him forever, okay. Um, and uh, why did God create anything at all for his glory? But God's glory gets expressed in a very particular way. Um, and it has to do with, Covenant relationship. Um, all of creation, Calvin calls 
creation, the theater of God's glory. Or we can think of it as the, in other words, the setting of where the drama of God's covenantal relationship takes place. But he has a particular focus, a particular purpose, and it is to develop relationship, to establish relationship, covenant relationship with humans. We, um, we are uh, in covenant relationship with God. He's chosen to be glorified in that way. So in the narrative, what happens next when, uh, when he creates them? Okay, he blesses them. Interestingly, this is a blessing. The, uh, the assignment is a blessing. Okay, and he said to them, interesting, God addresses them. And he addresses them as his, um, as his co-workers, right? He addresses them as, as, as people who are joining him in, on his mission, right? On, on his purpose, on what he wants to do, right? Um, so he addresses us, and that's really important. God acknowledges our identity, right? <laughs> that he's given to us, okay? Talk about a need to be affirmed, a need for someone to recognize who I am. God does that. And he keeps doing that, by the way. Right? How does God continually address us? The scripture. Each other. The spirit. Uh, prayer. Right? God is always addressing us. God is always affirming. Okay, although we'll re- in a redefined sort of affirmation. Right? Of what he's created us to be. Um, he acknowledges us. And then God, he tells him to do stuff, right? He has this, we're going to participate in his purposes, but then he communicates a covenantal expectation. He has a command, right? Now, this tells us something about ourselves, right? Um, first of all, this, God really is in a unique relationship with us. Any, every covenantal relationship we have has, has boundaries put, placed on it. Right? This is, in marriage, when you say, I do, you are saying no, right? Right? To, to, a, to an off, to everyone else, right? <laughs> um, that, I mean, that's not a, like, a limiting factor, right? We don't, we don't call it a no ceremony, right? <laughs> because it's, it's, it, we, we think about this as being for someone, right? I'm entering into a relationship, but when I'm doing that, I'm putting boundaries upon it. There are expectations now of that relationship. And every covenant has expectations. And when God commands, he's giving expectations. That, what does that also imply, though? That humans have an ability to obey or not obey. By the way, we don't call that freedom. That's a misnomer. Freedom is never uh, an ability to misuse what God has given you. Freedom is actually the, the freedom to say yes. Right? to choose for God, to choose the good. But humans have the ability to say no, to turn our backs on our own selves. We're the only animal that can be what we're not. We can say no. It's what Karl Barth calls the impossible possibility, right? 
we, we can do the impossible. We can turn our backs on ourselves and become something that we're not. We can go outside of our God-given identity. But the positive side of that is that God enters into covenant with us. So my third point is Christian identity means that my sense of self is, de- is defined by God's covenant. Who I am is God's covenant partner. Okay. But there's an important preposition in this whole business of image of God. It's I'm in the image of God. Now, why is that an important preposition? What does that mean I'm not? I'm not. Well, I'm not outside the image of God, certainly. Or, or after the after is another way, or, or according to where you could you could. I'm not the image of God. There is an image of God, and we're not it. Who is the image of God? Jesus Christ, right? Colossians one fifteen, Romans eight twenty nine, Hebrews one one through four. Right? I could go on and on. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We are made in the image, right? But Christ is the image. Now, who is Jesus Christ? God. He's God and? Yeah. So, God self-identifies with humanity. Now, that's powerful. So if we want to understand identity, we have to understand God's self-identity is with humanity. So what are the implications of that? God is self-identified with humanity as a human. That means a Christian identity is rooted in Jesus Christ, okay? What it means to be human is grounded in the humanity of Jesus. There's one human, in a sense. When Pilate says, behold the man, you have to understand that is, that is a powerful prophetic statement. He is saying this, he doesn't know he's saying it, but this is the one true human. The only one who corresponds perfectly to God, because he is God, yet that God has chosen to self-identify as a human by becoming one of us. We call that an eschatological identity. What does eschatological mean? The end of things, the end of times. Yeah, and sometimes we, we think of that as end as in time, but the word just means the limit of something or the end of something or far away from something. Uh, when when uh, we'll see this in Acts Acts one, uh, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to the eschaton of the earth, to the li- outside, right? So when we talk about eschatological identity, what we mean is that that identity comes to us from outside ourselves. So human identity, uh, Christian identity, redefined identity is eschatological in that I receive my ident- identity from outside myself. Who I am is rooted in God's self-identification with me in Jesus Christ. My sense of self has to be understood in that way. Um, And since Christ assumed all of our humanity, okay, then this includes everything that has to do with human nature, 
Everything Christ assumed, okay, is part of our human identity. That means, so when we think about, our, you know, I've, I hear this sometimes um, in, in, you know, Bible studies or something like, oh, uh, my identity is, is in Christ. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know what that means sometimes. Like, sometimes that's almost like this just thought activity. But all of our humanity is bound up in Jesus Christ. Our bodies, right, are rooted in Christ's humanity, right? Our, our minds, our relationships, our limits, right? And we're going to talk about limits at one of our, when we talk about death and dying and things like that. God has put a limit on us. And those limits are very, they're, they're, part, they're an inherent part of God's yes. Carries with it a no. Right? Um, you know, very personal. No, no, I mean, Amory and I lost some twins. Uh, we lost two, 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 two babies in uh, early December, or end of November. And you know what? God said yes to 10 weeks. But in saying yes, he also said no. Right? And that no, that, that shadow of God's of affirmation is part of our identity as human beings. And Jesus Christ experienced the full limits of our humanity in order to open up new possibilities, new yeses for us, right? But we embrace those limits, okay? Um, well, here's, here's then a problem. Do any of us live up to the image of God. Yeah, we call it sin, by the way, right? Um, and, and it ruins, I mean, it just screws up an awful lot about things, everything, actually. Um, so does this mean that we become less human when we sin? And we're all sinners, so are we all, are none of us, are we all less human? Well, there is a sense in which that's true. We, we turn our back on our own identity, on the God-given identity, right? So we, we can say, in a sense, that we become less human when we sin. Of course, there's real implications that we've got to be careful of, right? The gospel can be understood, and, I, and this is one, I, I think one of the best, best ways to understand the gospel is God. when we turn our backs on ourselves, God maintains our humanity for us in Jesus Christ, Right? Our humanity, you can't tear away your humanity because it's not grounded in yourself. You can never lose yourself fully because who you are is not grounded in your own self, even despite all your attempts to do so, right? It's grounded in someone else. So the gospel is, uh, includes the idea that Jesus Christ maintains yourself for you and gives it back to you, offers it back to you. And how do you receive back yourself how do you access the humanity that Christ has maintained for you I think 2 Corinthians 4 is an interesting bit on this um, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4 even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, unbelief um, blinds you to seeing 
the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. By the way, seeing here is really important in the passage, because remember, this is the passage, previous chapter, where, where we don't have a gospel where, like Moses, who saw and then was fade, the glory faded. But instead, we have a glory that when we see it, we're, we're changed from one degree of glory to another, right? And so then Paul says, I know the gospel is, certain people can't see it, and they're blinded because of unbelief. But, but, we proclaim it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ in the gospel, right? And we receive it by faith. Unbelief blinds you. Belief lets you see, and it's that transformative vision. It's what transforms us into the image of God. So, Christian identity is received by faith. Who I am is experienced through believing the gospel. Now, you have to be careful with this, because it does not mean that unbelievers are sort of excluded from being humans. That's happened. Have you ever seen, like the Crusades. Okay, that was a justifi- like part of the justification of some of the preaching for the Crusades is these infidels are less than human. They're savage. We, we should destroy them. This happens in the, in the American... Uh, you know, settlement, right? These hellhounds, uh, as they're called, they're like they're less than human. We can kill them, Save the man right? The yeah, exactly. And and that is not true. Remember, every person's humanity is bound up in Jesus Christ. You have no right to take that from them because Jesus Christ holds on to that. What we do by faith is we experience our true self, if you will, right? We experience the true identity that is, is given to us. Last thing, because we're now we have a minute left. Um, one of the things we've been talking about is we've been talking very general terms, general humanity. What about the, like, what makes you you? Right? And I think this is where it's important to think about Jesus Christ maintains our, he gives us back our general humanity. He maintains that general humanity. But this is where the role of the Holy Spirit is so important. The Holy Spirit particularizes our humanity. It gives it its distinctiveness. Okay? And we see that already in Luke 1. Because how, how is it that the Son, the eternal Son, becomes human? Mary, how will this happen? What's going to happen? The Holy Spirit will overshadow, right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit to particularize in that way. And then we see this unfold in the New Testament through spiritual gifts. Right? Each one is given this gifting, which gives them their place in the body of Christ. Right? One's a, you know, a hand, a finger, a toe, a what, whatever. Right? As in all this descriptive, or or in Ephesians four, where grace is given. Right? And it's dispensed according to the measure of God's grace. And he's just he's giving this to in in particular ways. Right? And and the end result is that we grow into the conformity to the image of Christ. But it's but it's in particular ways. It's customized. Through, through spirit gifts. Okay, so uh, we don't have time to unpack all that, but my, my at least take on, on the particularity of each person is experienced in the Holy Spirit, and, and there's an there's, there's a important safeguard in that because none of us are like have naked uniqueness. What I mean by that is it's just because something unique doesn't make it good. Right, that, that's part of our world right now. Is you know, I wanted, of course, 
interestingly, none of the identities that people end up with, they tend to be copies of something or reactions to something. There's nothing new under the sun. But, but there's an attempt to say that like, sort of just uniqueness in of itself is valuable. Well, the, that's not true. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes in and uh, puts, puts boundaries on that. We, we fulfill the law of the, through the Holy Spirit, right? Um, we're not under the law anymore because life in the Spirit, right, fulfills that for us. So there's important safeguards that are bound. And we'll talk about that when we get to well, next week, as a matter of fact, when we talk about sexuality and things like this as well. All right, we're, uh, we're going to have to finish. Last point. All this fixed under the rubric of what's called justification, what it means to be human, according to Luther, Luther, the disputation on man, interesting thing to read sometimes. Luther defines humanity as being justified. And what we mean by justified is not just sort of made, uh, declared uh, not guilty or declared uh, you know, free from sin, which is absolutely true, part of imputation, absolutely part of, of, of justification, but it's broader than that. It includes God's, it's, it's how we use the term in, in everyday life. We justify the existence of something. We say this has a right to exist, and that right to exist is all rooted in God's giving, right? So we, we exist as, as creatures, as, as justified, um, and what that frees us to do when we're free from the burden of our own self, like we can't make our own self. You, you're not meant to bear the burden of yourself, and so when you're freed from that, guess what you get to do? You get to participate in God's justifying work to others. You're free to love and serve the other, right? We become agents of God's justifying work in the world. So every person I encounter, I get to now confirm, affirm, right, their own humanity as given by God. That's the vocation of us all as people who are set free from the burden of ourselves to establish our own selves, differentiate our own selves. We now encounter the other and we do the work of God in many ways of affirming what God has made them to be. Um, and so we are about the business of uh, affirmation, just a little differently from maybe how the world would think about it. All right. Wow, we covered a lot. I'm sorry that that was quick and we didn't. Anyway, um, hopefully that was helpful foundation as we move into and next week of gender and sexuality. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you for, um, Lord, that you have revealed what you think about ourselves. Um, And Lord, help us to live in the light of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.